Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. Hey, what's up? How are you? I'm well. How are you doing today? You good? It's obviously, it's phenomenal to talk to you. And so, yeah, the first time I saw you was you were just giving this lecture to this group that didn't exist two months ago at Gen Z Mafia. And, and you did a talk on the Discord server. So how did that come about? And, and what was that like? How did that come about? Oh, I can never keep track of how I meet. I have a very, I have a very, how should I say, subterranean, underground milieu, let's say. Like the way that I go on the internet and the way I look for interesting people and interesting stuff to read it's very subterranean. I'm always looking in weird places, always trying to find stuff that other people don't know about. That's very much my kind of internet sleuthing style. So I'm just constantly finding weird people and uh, one word, weird person connecting me with another weird person. And so I can never remember. I honestly, I'm drawing a total blank on how I first connected with those people. <laughs> okay, yeah. And you gave this talk about, you call it internet vitalism. So talk to me about that. What does that mean? Yeah. So that was just a title that I gave after the fact. As someone who's doing podcasting yourself, you probably appreciate that. Sometimes when you start something, you don't necessarily know what it's going to be about. And afterwards, you have to take a step back and think, how do I really summarize what's going on in this piece of content? So that was a good example of this. I don't even think I used that phrase necessarily in the talk, although I might have. I just try to give titles after the fact that convey what's inside. And what I mean by internet vitalism is basically the same thing about other life. My personal media company is what I call it. It's called Other Life. And what I've tried to evoke with that brand and and that set of words, Other Life, is something very similar to what I'm trying to evoke when I talk about something like internet vitalism. And it's basically this. We all have normal lives where we have to do bullshit we don't want to do, like we work jobs or we have these obligations and whatever. That's fine. That's a part of life. You have to respect people you're obligated to and you have to acknowledge that other people have you have stakeholders who you have to pay attention to their thoughts and feelings and and that's all a normal part of life and there's no ultimate getting around that but we all have in the back of our minds at any given time i believe we have this sense this vision of a different kind of life of what we could do and what we could be if we could just simply not care at all about what people think and how they're judging and our different obligations and perceptions that we're always calculating about. We have this vision of another life where we are truly just 100% full throttle down the line of flight that we want to pursue without caring at all about our stakeholders or our other obligations. That's the other life. And that is something that I think if you're a creator or you're an artist or an intellectual of any kind, That's always the thing you want to be laser focused on. And that's always the thing you're trying to get a little bit closer to. You're always trying to pursue that. And I see the internet as the primary avenue through which we can more and more access that other life where we are truly free, where we truly say and think and do and make exactly what we uniquely and weirdly believe in and want to bring into being. The internet is where you can do that. And That's what the other life is to me. That's what internet vitalism means to me. It means logging onto the internet and escaping all norm, all normality, just going full throttle into that ideal, maximally open, uh, creative space where you can think and say and do whatever you most truly 
are moved to say or think or do. Yeah. Awesome. And so that's a crazy, that's an amazing idea, especially now when I left college in March and I thought I'd be back two weeks later. And now I thought I'd be back in the fall. And now I don't even know if I'll go back next year. People have a lot more, you know, people are a lot more at home. And one of the, the, I guess, distinctions I want to draw is you're not really talking about an escapism, right? You're more talking about like reshaping reality to make it more like what we want to do. Yeah, I'm not necessarily afraid of the word escapism. I think the word escapism gets a bad rap, honestly. I think a little bit of escapism is a perfectly fine and healthy thing. Look, most of us live boring lives of desperation and we want to escape from it. That's a fact. Most people want to escape their boring, constrained, oppressive lives working in bureaucracies or working in nine to fives that they don't really identify with. So I don't think escapism is a bad word. I think yeah, a lot of people want to escape and I want to, I'm interested in escaping. I escaped academia. I literally, I was like, I want to escape this. <laughs> and, I, and I think an idea of the internet where you can be super creative as a kind of escapism towards the oppressive constraints of your normal everyday life. I think that's healthy. Now, what's interesting and more compelling about that than someone might think at first is what you were alluding to also in the second part of your your question, which is, There is this weird thing going on now, uniquely in the 21st century, where if you go through your escapism radically enough and with enough vision and enough willpower, it starts to feed back onto reality itself. And that's where things get super interesting and exciting to me. Because what starts off as escapism, if you take it seriously and you really work hard on it and you invest yourself in it and you figure out how kind of internet mechanics work, then your escapism could become the basis for a literally a new type of reality, a new type of world that a whole bunch of other people want to subscribe to. They want to be a part of it. They want to pay to be a part of it. They want to contribute to it. And that's what's really going on right now when you look at what is called community and this trend toward uh, a number of kind of different niche communities. It's much more profound than that. It's someone who is escaping reality, creates a new variant of reality, and then a lot of other people prefer that new reality to their oppressive, boring reality that they want to escape And then they will do anything they can to join that other preferable reality. I really do think it's something as profound as that. Wow. And and you've created this, I guess, this reality. You've obviously started Indie Thinkers, which is a place for people to create and think and collaborate with other people that are also creating and, and thinking and learning in public. You were on your podcast, you were talking about cultural entrepreneurs. So you were literally talking about, you said reality is up for grabs and cultural entrepreneurs are making the most of that. So do you view yourself as a cultural entrepreneur? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think we are facing this choice in the 21st century where it's you're either going to submit to someone else's reality and play by the rules of someone else's reality, or you're going to take it upon yourself to create a unique vision of reality And then you have to bring together the resources and organize the resources to sustain that unique vision of reality and create structures that make it sustainable in some kind of uh, localized, concrete, living, breathing way. And that's pretty much the choice. And there's not, it's not necessarily better or worse to do one or the other. Different people will prefer different paths on that fork in the road, depending on their personality. But that is essentially how I see it. And I'm definitely trying to do what I can to create my own 
vision of reality. I think that's essentially what all content creators are doing. Again, content creator, I feel like it's a corny euphemism that doesn't really accurately signal the profundity of what is actually going on here. Like uh, big content creators, and I'm not even that big for what it's worth, um, like mildly successful so far, but the really big content creators, they are statesmen. They are world builders. They're absolutely founders of polities, in other words, like they are creating universes and all of their fans and all the people who live and breathe watching this content and loving it and buying the merch and all of this kind of stuff, which is huge now in many different niches are reality entrepreneurs essentially carving out new universes and, and scrambling to get as many of the, the population as they can into their world rather than other people's worlds. So yeah, in my own little way, I think I am playing that game because I think all content creators are essentially playing that game. I'm just focusing on the more kind of highbrow, academic, intellectual niche, I I guess you could call it. And I think that's always intrinsically going to be smaller than what a lot of other kind of people might be aiming for. But that's who I am. And ultimately, you can only really build these new realities around what you authentically are. So that's something you have to basically follow. You have to follow through on what is true to you, what, what is actually defining about you. And mm-hmm. I was a professor. And so this is my lot. This is my niche. This is my reality that I'm trying to, to create a new kind of academic life, really. Yeah. I, I'm getting so excited because there's so many things that you said that I want to touch on. So yeah, first of all, I, yeah, this is the first thing I want to mention. I interviewed Steph Smith two weeks ago, I think. And, and so one of the things she mentioned, she was talking about curating your own life and talking about the value of curating your own life and making active decisions. And so she's talking about, she went when remote work wasn't as big a deal as it was now. She went to Bali and she was with people and she left her job in consulting to start being an individual contributor again. So she was writing and learning how to code and, and she was just showing things to people in Bali. She was like, this is what I'm working on. She was getting feedback from people. And she talked about growing up in Canada. And she said, if I live in Canada and I don't have the internet and I don't look at these opportunities and find remote year, I, th- I think remote year was the group that she went to value with. And if I don't find it, right, I don't have the opportunity to make these connections. So she was able to actively create her own circle by making those decisions. And that was one of like the short snippets that I took out of there. And you're so great already because you're giving me all these short snippets because the way that you talk is really great. Statesmen and world builders. I've I've never heard that word used to describe content creators before. And I think content creator is incredibly reductive because content can really be anything. Um, It's so lame. It just sounds so lame too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Content. When I started writing, I told my mom, I don't know if this is dramatic or whatever, but I told my mom, I was like, I view this as my art. I seriously think that this is, this is what I give to the world. This is my art. Totally. And uh, you build in on all these different ways. And uh, creator is actually insulting because it sounds like you're just churning out widgets. Like you're a factory like, churning out widgets. It's, it's the opposite of that. It's yeah, seriously the opposite of that. Yeah. If you're good at it or not even if you're good at it, but if you're just doing it for real, like a, a real content creator is an, is truly working on art. It's an art, it's artistry. It's nothing short of whatever you think of when you think of artist. It's anything short of that is really insulting to it, I think. Yeah, you're doing something that moved someone. You've created something that was an online space at Indie Thinkers and now there are Indie Thinker like meetups. And, and I see this in, in other online communities I'm a part of. And so that was what I was thinking about when you were talking about that this creating a reality that comes into the real world right? Because we have these connections and we have our sort of lot in life. And another expression that I heard recently was this idea of creating your own luck, creating your own 
lot in life. And one of the things that you've mentioned is that you were a professor. You used to be a professor and, and now you're not a professor. So what happened there? Yeah, basically, the short story is just that it wasn't what I wanted it to be. It wasn't what I hoped it would be. It wasn't what I expected it to be. I think academia is this very cinematic thing in people's minds. It's like we have this idea based on movies and kind of cultural images. You think immediately about lovely wood paneled offices and big stacks of books and coffee stains and reading. Is that not what it is? Uh, that's an image. And no, that's not what it is. There's a little bit of that for sure. And some people are better and worse at making academia a lifestyle that reflects that kind of obsessive, satisfying, intellectual kind of lifestyle. But the fact of the matter is the actual game of academia is just like any other kind of office job. It's like overwhelmingly dominated by uh, like totally senseless bureaucratic paperwork tasks and a culture that is as filled with euphemisms and disingenuous concepts and basically just everyday petty lying to yourself as any other uh, kind of bureaucratic nine to five office job. And that was a really painful, disillusioning thing to realize that all of the negative stereotypes that are associated with, let's say, working for a big nameless megacorp, working as like a bureaucrat in a cubicle, in a meaningless, kind of lame, big business, all of the negative stereotypes that we associate with that are in reality, fully present with an academic career. And that was painful to realize. And make a long story short, I just always had a pretty clear vision of what the intellectual life is and what it looks like and feels like. I have a very distinct mental model of what it means to be an intellectual, of what it means to be doing intellectual work, and what it means in, in particular to be living an intellectual life. And to me, it's a very clear kind of phenomenological state, really. It's like, everyone knows it. If you're an intellectual, it's like when you're reading an amazing book by an amazing author, and just the clarity that is filling with your mind, the excitement and the exhilaration of appreciating a unique insight that you've never appreciated before. And all of a sudden, the whole world opens up and so many possibilities open up and you almost literally feel like you're ascending beyond the kind of gr drudgery and the ugly kind of flat, boring everyday life. You're like elevating above it. And that's the intellectual life. It's, it's a real feeling and you know it when you have it and you know it when you're not having it. And for me, like academia, it's true you get to, you get time and resources to do research. And yes, you're doing a kind of intellectual activity, but it's so subordinated by competitive kind of market pressures and the kind of administrative bureaucratic logic of the academic system that I was working super long hours, working really hard on my research and my other obligations. And the fact of the matter is I was just never, almost never accessing that true mental state of the free, genuine intellectual life that I knew full well what it was. And that's what I was after. That was what I wanted to go into academia for because I thought it was a career that allowed me to have that intellectual life consistently. And I, it's just a simple empirical fact that in six years of working as an academic, I was almost never able to access that true state of free, genuine intellectual life. And that's when I basically eventually realized like, there's something deeply wrong. Academia is not what people think it is. It's not what I thought it was. And I know that there is a way to make a true intellectual life sustainable and financially 
possible. I know that there's a way to do it. There has to be. And so I was just like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm going to quit this game, which seems to be like a fake game. And I'm just going to try to figure out how to make the true intellectual life financially viable. Come hell or high water, I'm just going to figure it out. And that's what I'm doing now. Like a year later, I've been doing that and I'll continue to do it. I, I love that. I love, I love that the goal is this internal. As you were saying it, I was thinking about it and I talked to people about it. So for me as a developer and, and someone who writes codes and likes creating experiences for people online, gosh, I, I know what you're talking about. It's just when all the pieces start coming together and you can see what you're thinking of in front of you. And it's so beautiful because it gets back to what we were talking about before when it's like your escapism or what you're creating in your mind comes into reality. That's the best moment. That's such a good moment. Yeah, I forget what else I was going to say. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. And that's one of the things that I was thinking about before when we were talking, I was mentioning to you that I, I wanted to, a friend of a friend on Twitter floated this idea. He said, who wants to get a house in Maine with me? And we'll just, he called it like a builder house and we'll just focus on building things. Dude, I'm, we, I've been talking about this. Yeah, building things with software. And uh, Are you doing that? I want to. So I, we have to figure it out because we're all like 19 and 20. So it's not as simple as it would be if we were a little bit older, but no, it's simpler now for you than if you were older. Awesome. Awesome. That's great to hear. But (laughs) the, (laughs) just the thing about that is, and, and this is what I want to get back to what you were talking about. You were talking about this internal feeling, knowing what the intellectual life should be like inside you, you feel it, but you get that feeling. You're reading a book late at night. You're reading something on your computer with that feeling supposed to be. And for some reason or the other, um, you don't get it for six years as an academic professor. And you just took a, a leap. You said, by hell or by fire, I'm, I'm going to do it. And, and I have that all the time where in my head, I'm just like, on face value, this idea makes no sense. Because if I go and I tell my parents, guys, I want to go live in Maine for a whole semester and I want to take a semester off college. The question naturally is, what are you doing? And I don't have a way to articulate that, but I know internally what it's supposed to feel like and be like. So I'm wondering if you can, I don't know if that's anything like your experience where you didn't know exactly where you wanted to go, but you knew what it was supposed to be like. Yeah. If you know deeply that something exists and no one else understands it, then it's a good bet to wager yourself on going to figure that thing out and to make that thing come to fruition and to organize your efforts around it, even if you don't know exactly what it is. Those are the types of bets that people have to make on themselves. And I would say a few things about it. One is that if you just feel very confident that something is possible and something that should something is good and possible, and no one else is really figuring out how to bring it into fruition or to give it embodiment, then that's about as good a focus or obsession or goal as you can possibly imagine. Because even if you fail, your life is still going to be suffused with kind of maximal meaning. So that's the way that I think about it is even if my ventures fail, like my specific ventures fail, First of all, you can always come up with new ventures. You can always come up with new ways to tackle the larger vision. So even if the particular experiments and projects that I'm hustling on right now to make them successful embodiments of my larger vision, even if everyone I'm working on right now were to fail in like the next 30 days, I have 
tons of other ideas of ways that could possibly make it work. That's the first thing because I'm so obsessed with it. I'm so, I so believe in it and I'm so motivated to prove this to the world and to make this happen that I can easily just come up with new ideas. So many of them. That's the first thing I would say. That's the first thing. But the second thing I would say is that even if everything I do fails, like my current initiatives fail and every single thing I try after that fails, then at least I'm going to die knowing that I had this like glorious, brilliant, weird personal search that maybe was totally stupid and maybe I was wrong and maybe everything I did failed. But at least I had a crazy, unique yeah. life that was truly me trying to fulfill me. And right. that just gives me so much joy and, and pride and satisfaction that like at the end of the day, I'm always going to find some bullshit way to buy food and support my wife and like the kids that we want to have. You can always come up with ways to do that later, even if they suck, even if it means I fall back into some kind of like drudgery, whatever, like that's, that'll figure itself out. I'm not worried about that, but if in 20 years I'm like working a bullshit nine to five job that I hate, I would still consider this a super worthwhile and successful venture because I took a major risk to go all in on trying to figure out what I really wanted to do and what I really believed in. And there's just no, there's nothing to be more proud or joyous about than that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. If everything fails, at least you can say, but at least I did it my way. And that's, that's all there is. Right. And a crazy story, like the bigger and weirder your vision is, the better it is to try it. Because what it really means is that even failing becomes an interesting story. And that there's real, there, there's something really powerful in that. I, I think it might sound like a kind of obvious, like bullshit self-helpy type of uh, insight or something. But I think that's actually like way more interesting and profound than it might sound at first. Because what it means is if you're willing to make real bets with your life on weird, unique visions that maybe other people don't fully understand. And maybe you don't even fully understand it because you haven't really figured it out yet. You haven't figured out how to make it work yet, but you believe in it so much that you're willing to pursue it because that's weird and big and crazy enough that in its own right becomes something valuable that you can then like write a book about that, or you can, you become known for being like really bold. And then that's a really valuable kind of social capital that you have. And so there's this really profound thing in which like, even if you're wrong, even if your vision is totally false and you see something that you think you see something and it, it, there's nothing financially more materially viable about what you think you're trying to do. The simple fact that you had the guts to wager yourself on it in public could become the thing that you can make yourself successful and financially viable just from that, even if your original idea was completely false and stupid. So that there's real power in that when you really take that seriously, because you're, okay, literally, this is just the confidence and motivation game, because as long as I can stay confident and motivated, then I can parlay this into anything, even if I'm totally wrong. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so... Wow. A lot of things there to go back to this phrase that you keep mentioning, you, you keep saying wager yourself, right? Take bets on yourself. And it's something, uh, I have heard a few people talk about, and you've, I, I also want to talk more about what you do at other life and your own podcast and, and the work that you do. And so you've talked to a lot of, you know, seeming at the face, like really successful people. You interviewed people from on deck. I was actually supposed to talk to seduction trader on today, but I think he was asleep. So. <laughs> but what else did I listen to? You've talked to Emma Salinas. These, these are people that I, I find interesting. I think these people are successful. I, I, I don't know what like, other people think of them, but I, I find that these people are successful. So is that is that something that you've seen as you 
investigate their experiences and talk about what they've done because they're not dissimilar from you in, in a lot of different ways, right? They, do you find that, that the people that you talk to also took bets on themselves? That's a good question. I would say not necessarily that I have a kind of vision for uh, the other life podcast as one kind of property in my larger Mm -hmm. system. And the idea behind other life, which is increasingly coming into focus after I've done a bunch of episodes now is I'm actually more interested in people that you've never heard of people that are not necessarily super successful yet, but they're on the cusp of probably being successful or they could be successful. But what I'm generally looking for on my podcast, I like finding and talking with people who are just weird and unique and creative in some way that is badass and interesting and new and potentially it's going to be big. But at the current moment, we don't really know. I'm mostly looking for people who are just uh, weird, but bold and doing something unique that most people haven't heard of. And that's more and more what I'm focusing on. So I guess the answer to your question would be no, I'm not necessarily looking for people who are already successful in having made some wager on themselves that paid off. I'm more interested in the actual initial stage of people making weird wagers that other people don't necessarily believe in yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, right. I follow your work online and your work is dissimilar from some of the other work, right? Cause you talked about it before the way that you use the internet now is, you know, subterranean. It's you look for weird things. And, and I really like that because that's how my experience has been over the last couple of months, just finding these gold nuggets, these things that I find really interesting in places that I didn't even know to look. And I wouldn't have known to look without finding other interesting people. And your work is different in that it strikes me as it's really intellectual. Some of the other people I look at are developers and they talk about different things. And so they fit that mold of content creator in a different way. And so you talk about a lot of really interesting ideas. And I follow you on Twitter and I go to Twitter one day and I see that Justin is setting up arranged marriages and he's talking about why why God isn't real. And it's, do you find that you're living that sort of intellectual life that you left Um, academia to pursue now? Do you have the time to experience that feeling more often? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's one way I know that I'm definitely going in the right direction and I feel vindicated in that regard. But I would say this thing is probably always a continuum where the true intellectual is trying to constantly increase the proportion of his or her life that is consumed by this phenomenological state I described before as the intellectual state. I definitely have it way more frequently now outside of academia, for sure. I'm very proud to say to report that, but definitely still not as much as I would. I'm still fighting to get more of it. And the way that I see that is as I'm as I left academia, I, I obviously had to embark on a challenging, somewhat pressure filled challenge of building businesses now instead of building an academic career. I have to build businesses. I have to create the material structures that can sustain me materially, right? So that's a very difficult, challenging kind of external constraint. That's oppressive labor, right? That's like really hard work. And it's not intellectual. It's the opposite of intellectual. Let's be perfectly clear about that. Like the systems I'm building to make the intellectual life more possible than it is in academia, this current state of founding and system building is absolutely in tension with the true intellectual life. So I want to make that clear, but it's a necessary part of the process, right? It's like anything. You have to submit to drudgery and difficult, painful labor. You have to subordinate yourself to the challenges of reality and you have to meet them 
to build systems that then give you the thing that you're looking for. Yeah, I'll be, I want to be perfectly frank about that. Like I'm spending way more time right now as uh, running a business, building a business, basically. I'm right now way more of a businessman than I want to be, than I plan to be. But I just see that as part of the longer term strategy. I'm going to build highly efficient businesses that make me good money and deliver good, real value to the world. And I'm going to figure out how to automate it. And I'm going to figure out how to hire people probably eventually. And I'm going to figure out how to get that system nicely humming such that then things are, my life is being paid for and I can step back and I can increase the proportion of my time that goes to just reading and writing and thinking and and creating content. Yeah. If you want, I actually have a pretty sophisticated, I think, and systematic vision for how I'm doing that and how I'm planning that. If you want to hear more about that, I'd be happy to break it down for you, like logistically and concretely how I'm building the properties to do that. I don't know if that's what you want to talk about or what. To answer your question, let me tell you, I guess, what I'm interested in. I'm interested in this aspect of lifestyle design. I'm, I'm interested in how people's lives change when they start embracing being creators and being individual creators and sustaining themselves that way. So I'm, the aspect I'm more interested in is how you can subordinate that drudgery um, that you're talking about to spend more time doing what you love and experiencing in, in living that intellectual life. So obviously I, I understand that you probably have some certain goals. And obviously now that I'm a part of Indie Thinkers and, and I interact with the different things that you've created, I, I feel like part of that vision is, I, I see a little bit of that vision. The things that I know that you've done, and I'm sure that you'll pick up after here. I, I see other life, but I also see right Indie Thinkers, which is a paid community. And the good thing about paid communities is, you talked to Sudarshan about this is when anyone can join a community, people are more liable to, for lack of a better word, just fuck around. There's going to be people that are helping and trying to build a community. And then there's people that aren't as interested and are there to either say that they're there or passively consume content. And, and so I guess the question is twofold. It's how do you go about building that community, right? Is that to you reflection of the drudgery or is that something you actually enjoy? And how do you see indie thinkers as factoring into that, I guess, business where you can have the structure to live your life the way that you want to? Yeah. So I'm happy to break this down. The way that I thought about this when I set these systems up was that I think it's crucial if you want to pursue an intellectual life, it's crucial to separate to some degree your personal intellectual freedom from your um, money-making ventures. Now, it's confusing because on some level, that's not true at all. And I'll explain how that's not true at all. But on another level, it's crucial to at least create different containers where you are able to apportion your senses of responsibility. So let me explain what I mean that by that. So let me start by how it's my personal brand and my personal intellectual life is absolutely connected to all of the other kind of business ventures. Um, That is the case because basically what I think and believe and speak in terms of my ideas and my philosophical conceptions and my kind of scientific diagnoses to the degree that I have them and everywhere in between from my personal opinions to my theoretical or empirical analyses, everywhere along that line of just what I think and what I put out as my own personal intellectual work That is the number one and really only source of 
what business people call like top of the funnel for me. So everyone, all the new people who find out about me, all of the people out in the world who have never heard of me, who each day, a few new people will hear about me and find out about what I'm building and what I'm doing. 100% of that kind of audience building, audience growing aspect of my system, 100% of that is just me being me and Mm -hmm. thinking what I think. And so that's that. And so all the people who want to either buy one of my books or they want to join one of my online courses or they want to join Indie Thinkers, Mm -hmm. all of those people only ever get there because of stuff that I said that I think because I genuinely think it. And so what a lot of people don't really appreciate about the true intellectual life is that if you're actually really well-read and you spend a ton of time reading books and you're actually even somewhat smart and you actually just spend a lot of time thinking about real ideas, honestly and, and truthfully, in a way that's detached from like fashion and social opinion, if that's actually who you are and that's something you do regularly because you need to do it because you like to do it, you simply saying what you think is going to be really unique and impressive on some level for the simple reason that most people don't have the time or energy or patience to read big books and they don't have the courage to actually develop unique personal visions and ideas and perspectives in their mind. So if you have what it takes to do that, you're a really unique blessed person. That's the first thing people should realize because simply writing what you think, tweeting what you think, writing blog posts, making videos, doing podcasts, whatever, you're just sharing with the world what you think. It's going to be relative, like quite differentiated and unique, and it's going to attract some amount of interest because by definition, it's unique and more sophisticated and interesting and in some way valuable than a lot of the other noise. That's something that I re- I realized early on. That was like that was my main asset, really, being able to think interesting, real thoughts that other people don't think based on a superior, whatever, book knowledge, but also cultivated intellectual in- intuitions, let's say. So that was number one, the, the main driver of everything when you're doing a kind of, in- when you're pursuing what I call the indie thinker model, which is pretty much just figuring out how to be financially sustainable as an independent intellectual. So that's the one thing. Now, here's the problem. To really do that to its maximum, you need to be weird. You need to be truly unique. You need to be truly what you think and nothing else. And that's going to mean some weird stuff. That's going to mean some provocative stuff. That's going to mean stuff that ruffles a lot of feathers because the true philosopher at all times and all places is annoying. It's, it, the, the philosopher is a gadfly, right? Whether it be Socrates or Diogenes or Rousseau or Nietzsche, like the true philosopher is always pissing people off. And You need to protect your ability to do that. That's one of the most important things about the Indie Thinker model is you need to create systems where you can truly go full throttle and say weird stuff, provocative stuff that a lot of people are going to not like occasionally. Of course, people will generally think you're just cool and interesting because you're shooting from the hip and you're being super sincere. But there are going to be times when people are, whoa, that just sounds like you're evil or crazy or stupid because that's like what philosophers always have that perception problem. Okay, so that's the one thing. But then you also need to, to really succeed with this kind of thing, you're going to also need to create other structures that are uh, more optimized for making money. Because the problem with the indie thinker, with the intellectual aspect that I just described, is that itself doesn't make money. That itself is actually profligate, right? The true philosopher is the opposite of a businessman. The true philosopher isn't thinking about what makes money. And, And the true philosopher, on some level, is pissing away money. That's what true philosophy is. It's pissing away money, really. It's pi- it, you're actually shitting on the capacity to create value because there's tension there. Okay, so then what you need to do also is create systems that are genuinely valuable. You need to be able to create real offerings that are valuable to people so that when people come into your world because they're like, oh, who's this crazy, fascinating, unique mind? 
there needs to be something that if they're interested in your unique mind, that they actually want to buy because it actually is valuable on a traditional kind of economic exchange level. And so what I realized early on is that it would be a huge mistake to overly monetize my personal intellectual work as such. That would be that because what would happen would be I wouldn't be able to think the crazy stuff I'm able to think if I had to worry about are people going to buy this? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. This yeah. is a, I, to me, this is a really crucial thing that I decided really early on would be a, a foundational aspect of my strategies. So basically, Other Life for me is my personal brand. I call it my personal media company. Where the, yeah. What I do with Other Life is I just try to say, I try to think and produce the biggest, most interesting, craziest, true things I can think and put out there in, in my own in a way that's like funnest and most interesting and engaging for me. So it's like, for me, it's the combination of true art and true science and true philosophy, just balls to the wall, my weird, unique content vision. And I've tried to, I've tried to separate that from my other ventures, which are the ones that need to make money. And then for those other ventures, I treat those like businesses and I build those like businesses. And I am, I try to be very calculating, very careful and very thoughtful about like, how do I create a product that is genuinely valuable? And then how do I communicate that with the world, which is called marketing? And how do I like make people uh, get value out of it and make them happy from having it? And how do I make that grow like a business? And that's Indie Thinkers. Indie Thinkers is just a startup. It's a self-contained little business experiment where I have a proposition. I have a hypothesis about genuine value that I can provide to people. And I charge money for it. And I try to make that work. And obviously they're super connected. Other life and indie thinkers are super connected because almost everyone who joins indie thinkers comes one way or another through other life. It might public kind of content, but they're radically separated also in terms of like how I treat them and how I do them. And to me, I think that's crucial. I think that's like a really, one of the best decisions and insights I made for figuring out the indie thinker model. I think the indie thinkers who are going to be most successful in the 21st century are going to have this kind of division ultimately between a kind of business venture and the the personal intellectual uh, venture. That's my, that, that was a bit of a rant, but that's how yeah. I see it basically. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, a few different things that I, I think going off there. But the, the one question I want to ask immediately is we've talked about indie thinker a lot. What does the word, what do the words indie thinker mean to you and how would you define them? The way that I define that is it's basically what most people think of when they think of content creators who are making money with content creator businesses, but specifically for the niche of more highbrow, more intellectual, more academic styled thinkers and types of content. That's really all I have in mind. So what do I mean by this? You look at YouTube, right? You look at the average YouTube video that's maybe explaining whatever, something it's uh, pretty low brow. And I don't mean that in a snooty way. I don't mean to be elitist or anything like that. Yeah. I'm just saying no, like, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm just saying the current average state of internet content, it's pretty cheap and flimsy. It's like a lot of corny people who actually don't know anything, just being charismatic, uh, maybe being handsome or beautiful. And so the average kind of intellectual quality of content out there in the world that does well and gets a lot of views and uh, those content creators, just the average content creator is not very educated, not very sophisticated, not very thoughtful about what really is true and holding themselves to the standards of, let's say, scientific method or holding themselves to the standards of um, a true artist. And so my wager with indie thinkers, what I am trying to give consciousness to with the, con- with the concept of the term of indie thinkers is that there are people out there who are doing the content creation game and making money and having significant impact and intellectual influence on how other people think 
who are much closer to what we have in our minds when we think of professors. And that's something that doesn't have a lot of self-consciousness. This is not a well-known niche. The people that are doing this or who represent this don't really see each other as, as peers in a particular niche. And my idea for indie thinkers is actually, no, this is a specific type of content creator. It's, it has unique challenges and there are unique advantages and disadvantages. And what I'm trying to do is theorize that and create frameworks and systems for people to understand what that game involves and to basically empower through a multiple different structures and systems. I want to empower people that are doing that unique kind of more academic, more sophisticated content creation game that's what indie thinkers is trying to do. And that's what I mean by the indie thinker model. It's basically what I just described with what I'm doing. It's unique. It's different. It's not like what the average content creator is doing. It's similar, but it's unique enough that it deserves its own, I think, name or label. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And and that's definitely been my experience of indie thinkers so far is that some of it just blows my mind. Some of the people that, that are on there and some of the work that they do, it's phenomenal. Oh, and cool. I'm happy to hear that. What's an example? Like what's something that particularly impressed you about Indie Thinkers? Yeah. Yeah. So there's one, I can't say his whole name, but he's, he's, a, he has a PhD in English. He, he was nice enough to follow me on the blog and he writes about poetry and he writes about what, how writing online is changing the way that people write. Gosh, it's not like a hard to say name. It might be Theodore Wilson. I'm just afraid I'm getting it wrong. You're thinking of Timothy Wilcox. Yes. So it's, yeah. And gosh, I read so much and it was amazing to me that someone could be that prolific. I start writing my little blog and I'm writing right four or five minute pieces every two weeks and um, not to shit on myself, but like mm-hmm. it, to interact with, with the work someone else is doing. There's no like comparison there. Like I'm not reading it and feeling bad about myself, but I'm looking at it and I'm like, it's amazing that this is even out there in the world. But that's definitely been my experience of indie thinkers so far. There's like a Google engineer on there that's talking about like deconstructive engineering, right? Some of the stuff went way over my head, but it's just cool to interact with stuff like that. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. And, and it's only just beginning. I think we, we've only just started. I think I'm basically trying to give consciousness to a new category of person, a new type of creator, a new type of culture in some ways. And that's hard. It's really hard to create a category. It's, and in fact, it's like one of the most common bits of advice you hear in like the startup world is don't try to create a new category. It's too hard. It's like, just hitch your wagon to some growing market that people already understand that is already a thing. It's so much easier. And I think that's true. So it's a bit like difficult and a bit risky that I I am basically trying to give voice and embodiment to what I believe is a, a new type of person, a new type of lifestyle, and a new type of career model, really. Honestly, uh, frankly, I think we've only just begun. I think it's only a small fraction of what it will be because it is, in the early days, it is kind of hard to really grow and build traction for something that I think is quite new, honestly. Yeah, and I, I think it's definitely worthwhile. And it's awesome that you've done it. And it's amazing to me that spaces like this can exist. And I think that there are, so many people out there that are going to experience the same joy that I experienced when they finally um, arrive at it and find it. And and so I, w- I want to talk about something else that you mentioned. So you, you talk about, uh, gosh, <laughs> you, you mentioned this word being weird over and, and weird in, in such a good sense where it's unique, where it's thinking original thoughts. And so I, I want to talk about protecting your own time. And so there's this business aspect 
But the the central aspect of creation is setting aside, you know, a big amount of time for yourself. I don't think there's anything creative people hate more than meetings or interruptions and, and things like that. And and so, right, you have to build a business, but part of the way that you're building the business is being creative and weird. And part of the reason that you can be creative and weird is by protecting your own time and, and making the space for yourself to be, to think these uh, thoughts that people may find disturbing and other people find incredibly cool and interesting. What is it like just setting aside time to be a creator? How is that experience for you? It's a great question. And I've thought long and hard about this because I, as I alluded to before, I know very well how just the pressures and obligations of normal life can constantly encroach on that true intellectual time. And as you can probably guess, I'm super jealous about that time. I quit academia in large part because I wasn't getting enough of that genuine intellectual time. And so I'm thinking really hard about this. And what I would say is you have to align the incentives in such a way that your material necessities and your the material outcomes that you need to maintain, so basically making money, a certain amount of money each month, you need to make sure that is aligned with the genuine intellectual work. And that's pretty much what I was describing before when I talked about my philosophy of separating the personal intellectual brand from the business experiments. So that's how I see it. Basically, for my business experiments to succeed and for me to be able to make money and to feed my family and to grow like my income, like a successful adult has to do, I've arranged everything in such a way that I have to blog and tweet crazy intellectual shit. <laughs> um, like I have to, I, do you see what I'm saying? I like, I've arranged everything so that I have to have tons of time to think and speak freely in my wild, personal, intellectually exciting way. I've created it. So that is what fuels the business stuff. And that's what I was saying before about the kind of strategic division I've made between my personal intellectual brand and my, let's say my the brand of my business experiments, such as Indie Thinkers being the main yeah. one for right now, because I don't have any other way of getting customers for Indie Thinkers other than building my own audience and increasing my influence with my ideas. And I built my intellectual brand to be all about my weird, unique, provocative insights. Does that make sense? So yeah. that's, how I, that's how I've managed it. You have to create a system where to make money and to fulfill the instrumental obligations of your life, you actually have to have tons of free time to be weird and wild and productive. And, and I've just been very conscientious about making those things aligned. And I think a lot of people are not conscientious about that. So the mistake that I could have made was when I quit academia, if I, if I suddenly got too stressed about needing to make a lot of money really quickly, I could have maybe just became, I could have just become a startup founder. I could just be doing 100% indie thinkers, treating it like a business and basically forgetting about reading and writing, forgetting about tweeting wild shit, forgetting about writing uh, wild blog posts and coming up with provocative ideas all the time. I could have definitely, if I wasn't careful and, and clever about this, I could have just fallen into a new lifestyle of being like a hustler, startup founder, doing nothing but building a business. So that could, and then I, instead of writing uh, to build an audience, I could be like, I don't know, buying Facebook ads or whatever, or networking with other founders, but that would have been a trap. That would have been a mistake. And I think people do fall into that mistake. I've creatively 
set up a system. And this is what I mean by the indie thinker model. Like I see the indie thinker model as a type of career strategy, basically, where you use the independent intellectual prowess that you've worked hard on over time and that you've built up by reading a lot and thinking a lot and writing a lot like that's capital. And you use that in a provocative way to fuel the business experiments, but you keep them separate so that they can each do their own thing with integrity. And I look frozen. Are you hearing me? Okay. You're, you're frozen on my end too, but I'm hearing you fine. So I'm hoping okay. this catches up in a second. Cool. But yeah, two things. Okay. This is really weird. Yeah. But let I, me stop my video for a second. Yeah. Hopefully this catches up. But that's fine. So carry on. Yeah. Two things. So the first thing I'd love to hear you say is it, it wasn't, I want that time. It was, I need that time. And, and I resonate with that so much just because if we don't get that time or if I don't get that time, I know at least I go a little bit crazy and, and I don't have... I'm 19 years old. I I have parents. They take very good care of me. And so I don't have, I'm not in in the position where my life where I I even really think about making money. I think that making money is cool, but I I don't, I have parents who take care of me. And the thing for me is how do I find ways to protect that time and, and cultivate spaces for that time and build that time into every day. And so honestly, sometimes school, it, it just feels like a distraction in some sense, right? Cause it's time that takes away from me blogging and, and writing and thinking and just right? I don't know about you, but I particularly like sitting down and doing nothing. I think that's like a fun thing to do. But And yeah, the other thing that didn't even occur to me, even though you said it multiple times until just now, is that you called it the indie thinker model, the, the idea that what you're doing is reproducible. And I, I want to talk about that a little more. So what is your vision for how that's reproducible? So you've talked about creating space to have these cool ideas. So you have your personal media company and then you monetize that in a way. So can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, totally. I think the underlying key wager there is that the intellectual life is a form of, it's an edge. It really is a unique, valuable thing that other people can't fake. And so what I mean by that is this intellectual state that you and I and anyone who knows it just knows it when you're reading a really good book or you're writing something that you are really passionately motivated to figure out that unique state where you gain a kind of truly independent, exhilarating clarity, being able to enter that state regularly is not just an extraordinarily satisfying and edifying and pleasing practice for people who like it. It's that for sure. As you said, it's something that true intellectuals live for and need in their life to, to make life worth living. It's that, but it's also, and this is what I think people don't appreciate. It's also, it has real market value in a way that is hard to understand correctly, because the problem is if you try to monetize it too directly, then you kill it. And that's an aspect of it, but it allows you to see things and do things that many other people can't do and which are indirectly down the line, extremely valuable and attractive and worthwhile to people. So this is something that I just don't think has been figured out. It hasn't been theorized adequately. It hasn't been communicated and there haven't been frameworks developed around basically expressing what I'm talking about here, but I believe I see it. I believe this is a real thing. And that's what I mean by the indie thinker model. So it's for people who need in their life that constant kind of intellectual cultivation that we're describing. There is a way to channel it and harness it for the market value that it actually contains. 
And that's what the indie thinker model is all about. That's why I see it as a unique career strategy, a unique kind of career model. And that's what I'm basically articulating and developing for you in this conversation. And this is what I'm trying to teach in indiethinkers.org and what I'm trying to make more sensible and make more easy to follow. And I'm trying to create an awareness and frameworks and systems around helping people to actually do it. But that's the basic idea that if you can think really independently and creatively, then actually you have this huge store of capital in a way that in many different ways can easily be made of market value for people. If you just have to know how to translate it into uh, marketable types of products or services without killing it. And that's the key thing. That's the really hard thing that I think a lot of people struggle with when they start to try to monetize their intellectual abilities. That If you're not super careful, you can do it in a way that actually kills your intellectual abilities. And figuring out how to do that is what Indie Thinkers is all about and what I'm dedicating myself to theorizing and sharing with people. Yeah. And you talked about it too. If, if you try to monetize it too directly, if you go in and try to monetize other life, now you're writing something with the reader in mind. And it's not that anyone who writes something writes with the meter in mind, obviously, but you, first and foremost, you write it for yourself, right? It's your ideas. You're not writing it to say, I, I'm, I'm trying to make X amount of money or, or whatever from this, even though it's valuable. Um, totally. You're absolutely right. Yeah. If you monetize your intellectual work too directly and too fully, so that's the main way that you are growing and making money, then you're you're really flirting with serious danger because before you know it, you're not really thinking in that pure, radically independent intellectual state. You before you're actually thinking a lot about oh, what is my audience going to enjoy? What are what is my audience going to like? And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that, to some degree, that's a kind of an unavoidable aspect of this game. We're constantly being pulled by different temptations and pressures. That's a part of life for sure. But if you let those pressures be too big, they're going to seriously erode your ability to even do the genuine intellectual work that made you notable in the first place, that makes you unique and valuable in the first place. Yeah. And, and so you talk about the indie thinker model as not monetizing it too directly, but creating value, real monetary value from these intellectual ideas. And, and so I, I was just thinking, um, and while you were talking, is that we talk about the, this is something that hasn't been done before. And, and so the people that have the time and, and the space in their life to cultivate these types of ideas are truly blessed in that it, it takes time and it takes a certain freedom. But I was just thinking that the, the market for that really is everyone. Right, it's not necessarily just people who find it. I, I think everyone, to some degree or another, finds intellectual work interesting. It's just different people find creating intellectual work interesting. Is that something that you've thought about, or, or does that not make sense? I think I see what you're saying, and I would agree with you that there is some general sense in which developing your ideas independently and effectively is a really valuable and worthwhile thing to for virtually everyone to do. So you're right. There is a sense in which this kind of intellectual cultivation is absolutely valuable and worthwhile for almost everyone. But I think the the fact of the matter is, and I don't want to sound like an elitist or anything, but the fact of the matter is at any given time and place, the number of people that are really interested in dedicating themselves to figuring out truths that are not widely understood or not widely discussed or communicated, that's always going to be a very small minority of the population. And to be frank, that is what I am gunning for. That is 
what I'm most interested in. That's what I, I try to represent. That's what I aspire to be. And that's what my personal vision of my intellectual life is all about. So I'm not saying it's the only game in town or it's the best game in town. I'm just saying I am personally most interested in that relatively small minority of people out there who have that bug inside of them that makes them need to find weird, dark, hidden truths, whether that be in science or art or philosophy, and to cultivate them and refine them a little bit more aggressively, a little bit more independently, and a little bit more seriously than the average person. And I do think that's a relatively small niche at the end of the day, but it's uh, a, a significant and impactful niche. And that's how I see it anyway for me and for indie thinkers. Like I don't, I don't aspire to make indie thinkers a mass market thing. I, I would love to see in the next five to 10 years, I don't know, I think it could be maybe in the tens of thousands, maybe indie thinkers out there. That's a total bar, ballpark guess. I don't understand how people actually make these calculations of like total addressable market. I think it's so hard to know. I don't really know. I could see it maybe being in the tens of thousands of how many actual indie thinkers there might be in the world. But I think... Even if it were only, even if Indie Thinkers maxes out in my own life at a thousand members or something like that, if that was like the most I could ever get doing the kind of Indie Thinker model in a self-conscious way, I'd be perfectly happy with that because it's a fairly, it's a fairly sophisticated and difficult thing. And, and for what it's worth, the price point on Indie Thinkers is not, it's not trivial. I asked for 50 bucks a month or 450 bucks a year, which is self-consciously, it's, it's, not a low price point. And that's my way of signaling that there doesn't need to be a large number of people doing this. If I can get a few hundred people doing this all together, like that's that's more than worthwhile, I think. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, I guess my last question, I was just checking the time. I would love to talk to you. <laughs> would love to talk to you again, certainly. Would love to spend multiple hours talking to you. Yeah. But I, I guess my last question- I'm not in a rush. It's cool. Is And this is the one I usually like to ask at the end of all of these is just what makes you the most hopeful for the future and, and what excites you the most about the future, whether it's in your own life or for the world in general? I think I have a maybe twisted mind when it comes to this sort of thing, because I see extreme destruction of all currently existing institutions. Like I see it on the horizon. It feels very imminent to me. Like all of the prestige mainstream institutions that have defined the 20th century that people look up to as fixtures of authority and fixtures of stability mm -hmm. and respectability. I see those institutions literally crumbling before our eyes drastically and catastrophically. And it fills me with joy and excitement. Could you give some examples? I just see, a, I'm talking about my kind of informal mental model, right? You asked me what gives me hope about the future. And what gives me hope is my intuition that institutions ranging from academia to prestige mainstream journalism to all of television kind of broadcasting power, whether that be like sitcom stars or news anchors, mm -hmm. all the way across the board to Hollywood kind of establishment actors and actresses. I see all of that rapidly crumbling in terms of its social influence. And that fills me with extreme joy because I think almost all of it is based on a kind of really offensive fakeness that is just no longer sustainable in the internet age. And when I think about all of these kind of 
institutions based on a kind of calculated bourgeois hypocrisy collapsing in the near future. As we speak, each day they crumble and collapse a little bit more is how I see it. That mm-hmm. gives me hope. That fills me with that fills me yeah. with excitement and joy because what it means is the insane proliferation of creativity and influence for a way larger number of people doing more interesting, independent, and weird things. And I just see that happen. I feel like that's happening every day more and more. I don't even think that's a prediction. I, I really do feel like I'm seeing it and it's happening. And that's my mental model of what's going on in the world right now. And that fills me with hope and joy. It really does. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just wondering, um, and maybe I'm projecting here, but would you throw higher education in there as well? Look, I think higher education is going to linger around for a while, probably. I think people will be going to university in non-trivial quantities for quite some time. I suspect they'll stick around. But that's in large part because universities are not really what people think they are. They're really like massive, like real estate holding companies with uh, a kind of classrooms attached to them. So they're like the actual universities, what they are actually is massive, weird kind of business conglomerates that combine like hedge funds with real estate uh, holding yeah, companies. That part is definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. That actually happened to have some classrooms attached. So I think that institutions of higher education, like universities are going to be around for a while, but what they're really going to be doing, what they really represent and their social and intellectual significance is going to be changed. It is changing drastically and it will continue to change drastically. So the question is just the degree to which the dispersed decentralized set of human beings in the world are able to update their actual mental models of what these things represent. So I wouldn't put any bets on Harvard or Stanford or Princeton and especially the big well-known university brands. I wouldn't put any money on them disappearing anytime soon. So the system as a whole, the higher education system as a whole might exist and function in some way for a very long time. But the actual flight of genuine intellectual life from those institutions onto the internet that I take that to be happening as a fact that again, I don't even see that as a prediction. I think it's already happening. Like people who 10 years ago would have pursued a PhD are now building YouTube channels to be historians on YouTube or that kind of thing. You know what I mean? That's already happening. As far as I can tell, there's just people it's, it's not, it doesn't have, it hasn't attained a kind of public self-consciousness. That is one of the things I'm trying to contribute to. So a lot of people still think that if you're an intellectual, you go into academia. It just hasn't really been distributed. The fact that in fact, that has stopped happening and people who want to be intellectuals are increasingly going, to, going into these other weirder paths that are just awareness of them is more distributed. Whereas awareness of the university is centralized and based on traditional broadcast media. So yeah, that's the way that I say it. It's like, it's like the roadrunner in the cartoon who like runs off a cliff and their, their wheels are cycling, their, their legs are cycling while they're hovering in thin air. And so long as the roadrunner doesn't look down, the roadrunner is staying afloat in midair, like spinning their legs really fast. But then they look down and all of a sudden they just fall to the ground. I think uh, universities are like that. Universities are going to be spinning their wheels and hovering in midair under no foundation for quite a while until at some point, people just realize, oh, okay, this isn't even what it was. And all of intellectual life has already fully escaped. Yeah. There's a lot of exciting people working on unbundling education. You've had people from On Deck on your podcast. I'm sure you've heard of Lambda School. And then obviously, increasingly, right, teachers are finding that it's more profitable for them to teach on Udemy or Juni Learning or K-12 
Cambly or any of these things. So yeah, but also totally. I want to say thank you so much for doing this. And it was amazing to to have you all the all, all the little moments. I I love the way that you view the work that you do. I love the way that you talk about creating and what it means to put content out there. And yeah, thank you so much for for spending time with me. You're totally welcome. I'm happy to do it. I love doing podcasts. I love thinking about these things with people who are also interested in figuring them out. And I also want to thank you for joining us in Indie Thinkers. I'm really glad to have you. And I'm also especially glad that you're moving and shaking, writing book, doing these doing these interviews, and you're really out there hustling, trying to figure these things out. That's what Indie Thinkers is all about. So I'm really glad to have you on board and you're doing great work. So keep it up. And basically, if there's anything at all I can ever do to help or participate. Like that's what Indie Thinkers is all about. So I'm here for it. Like I'm super invested in uh, doing anything I can with or for the other members of Indie Thinkers. Definitely stay in touch. Don't be shy. And I'm glad to see you out here hustling and let me know if I can ever help in any other way. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got it, Rajit. Good meeting you. Good talking with you. And uh, yeah, keep me posted. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care and we'll see you next time.